Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil, TireRack.com, and RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek podcast number 283 from MotorWeek Central in Owings Mills, Maryland. And if you haven't figured out that where that is, uh, check <laughs> your phone. Anyway, uh, with us today in Studio C is Greg Carlos, Jessica Ray, and Alexander Kellum. You like Alexander? Alex? Uh, Alex? We call him Alex, obviously. Yeah, yeah. What do you answer to? Uh, Alex, yeah, in like any casual sense, but on all my like written stuff, I do Alexander. It's very formal. Yeah. All right, we've we've got a lot to cover today. We've got four vehicles. We have a lightning round. We have a, a question that came in from Instagram. We'll see if anyone's got any rant and raves. But let's start with a vehicle that has gotten a lot of pre-production promotion, the 2024 Chevrolet Blazer EV. And Alex, why don't you start us off on that? Sure. Yeah, Tell so. us what it is and when it's coming. Okay. Yeah, so I've been writing uh, quite a number of articles, it feels like, about it. Uh, it's really neat little... Uh, well, it's the Blazer, but now all electric. Um, so what is it? Uh, are we calling this a compact SUV or a midsize? Uh -huh. Probably compact, I would guess. I would, I would imagine. So I know it's getting yeah. the the refet fresh for twenty twenty three, but I don't think the proportions are like Based changing same. at all. Yeah, go ahead. Know, it's kind of looking like a wagon. Well, it looks. I think. I, I think the shape has changed a little bit. Right. All right. We interrupted you. Go. No, no, you're fine. Uh, so to preface all this, it, I don't think we're seeing it until summer of 23. Mm -hmm. So still got about a year to go. Mm -hmm. So things can always change. I don't think the shape's going to change, but pricing and and all that kind of stuff will. Uh, so we're. It's going to launch with two trims. And then we're going to get two more trims as time goes on. There's also a police version, but I have a feeling we will not get our hands on that one. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Well, hey, yeah, I'm yeah. here for it. If we can get <laughs> one, I'm, I'm all for it. It has to have a light bar, though. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so it's going to launch with the 2LT and the RS. Uh, had to make a spreadsheet for it, but uh, shameless self-plug on our This Just In that I had to write for it, Chevy provided a nice little spreadsheet for it. So if any handy. of this, you get lost in the sauce, just go look at that, and it lays it all out. So the 2LT, which will be kind of like temporarily the the entry-level model until the 1LT comes out later, uh, this one's going to be available as front-wheel drive standard, and then you will be able to get all-wheel drive. Estimated right now at 293 miles on a full charge, and I assume that's with you know the front-wheel drive configuration. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's they haven't they haven't put out like all the battery specs and all that kind of stuff, so uh, you kind of have to bear with it. Uh, starting MSRP again, estimations about 47 grand between 47 and 48. And that should, we should know that is there's no government assistance Correct. right now because GM's used up all of their tax credits. Correct. Um, the RS launching at the same time. Uh, interestingly enough, so uh, it says four-wheel drive st or front-wheel drive standard. I'm sorry, with available all-wheel drive and rear-wheel drive. Um, originally, when that that infographic came out, it listed rear-wheel drive as also standard. But then on the Chevy site now, it kind of clarifies that a little bit. So rear-wheel drive, uh, to my knowledge, will be an option. And this one is boasting 320 miles wait of range. Minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm confused. They're going to have 
front wheel drive yes. or rear wheel drive or all wheel drive? Yeah, for the RS, that that's what it lists it yep. as. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I you're confused, I'm confused. Who would do, like, who would do front wheel drive in the RS? And though? well, and that's what's that. interesting about it is for the range they they say, "Oh, this one gets 320 miles of range with the rear wheel drive." Mm. So that you know that plays into the mix there. Uh, MSRP does get bumped a little bit up to about 52k. So that's still not, uh, I don't know, awful. But John, can you think of a car in America that's ever been sold with like those three? Options? No, and the only the, the only reason I the only reason I think you would make that is because police departments like rear drive. Mm. And I can see, and I'm just guessing here, that the police version will be a rear-wheel drive or an all-wheel drive. So because It'll but, be based on the RS, is what you're thinking? You don't think they would want all-wheel drive? Some, some markets do, but some don't. If you're basically down in the warm weather areas, they necess- don't necessarily feel like True. they need all-wheel drive. Yeah. So, but, mm. but we are clear about that. They are saying that they're going to market this, the RS— of the Blazer EV mm-hmm. in a front drive, an all-wheel drive, or a rear drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is really weird. <laughs> yeah. No, and I've never heard anybody doing that before. It's, but, you know, what this says, is, if, if we're correct, and we certainly think we are, is because there's less complexity, you're not dealing with lots of big, you know, drive shafts right. and all that stuff. Sure. You can do something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it's right. it's a little strange, but I guess you could say there there are some trailblazers. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've ruined okay. it. So right. this is a five passenger, uh, roughly you know somewhere between a compact and a midsize yes. SUV, and it gets better uh, with the SS trim, which is going to launch later that year mm-hmm. uh, in the fall. This is all wheel drive only, and it's their performance model. It's actually the first time a Chevy EV has gotten the Super Sport designation, which is pretty neat. Uh, um, really? I believe so. That's uh, what they were touting it as. The first, uh, wait, say I that again? The, is, I believe it's the first Chevy EV to oh, get. EV. Yeah. Yeah, 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 oh, EV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you were I did, too. And I was going to say, there was a Blazer, yes. yeah, a Blazer yes. SS before. No, this is the first Chevy okay. EV to EV, get. EV, the Chevy EV to get the Super SS designation. So this is going to get 290 miles of range on a full charge. It's all-wheel drive only. and it's So that's your Mustang Mach-E GT Yeah, Yeah, that's what it's vying for. It's estimated, I think, a 0 to 60 time of under 4 seconds. Right. So that's pretty cool. The MSRP, it's up there. It's about 66k. So, which you is know, equal, which is close to yeah. The I mean, it is, it's but, competitive, but but, but, but you got to remember they don't have that $7,500 uh, tax credit where a lot right. of the others at that price do. So actually, it sounds a little high to me. I thought that I thought I, okay. It, it seemed I think the base model they're talking about. Uh, being down in the 30s, no. but that's not here yet. So, no, 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 no. Eventual base models. Uh, well, so I have it here, actually. The 1LT is yeah. the one you're thinking of. That's going to be winter of 24, front-wheel drive only. Still looking at about, at least what I saw, $44,000. Really? You're, I think you're, you're thinking really. of the the, uh, the Equinox. I must be. Mm-hmm. Because, that, the, because that's yeah. going to be aimed at fleets. The Equinox will be yes. aimed at fleets. And that they did tout saying that like yeah. specifically, it was going to be in the 30s. And they but have that to. comes later. That mm-hmm. comes in 2024. But, but they have to do that because 
every manufacturer that's trying to do mass market, if they don't have that $7,500 or a large amount of that for tax credit, they're going to be at a substantial competitive disadvantage against folks right. like Volkswagen, Kia, Hyundai, yep. and so forth, for at least another year or so. Mm -hmm. Well, and I mean, okay. GM already has those thoughts because, I mean, yeah. look at the Bolt. They lowered that about yeah. mm -hmm. that seventy five hundred dollars, and they're going to keep the bolt. So I guess you could argue, and I know that we're getting off topic here, that that they've all, they will have they've already got an entry level EV SUV. They're going, although it's not available in all wheel drive, the Equinox will fill in that all wheel drive void, and then of course the Blazer, being the more sporty and performance oriented, will be above that. Okay, mm -hmm. all right. So the pricing, the tiered pricing, sort of makes sense, right? And again, these are all estimates, so things right. can obviously change, right? And like the in the normal Blazer, that's it's sort of almost a little more of a premium. Well, yeah, it was entry. always. Yeah. We, I mean, if you yeah. go back and look at our road test, we sort of touted it as you know it got the Camaro treatment, yeah. and, mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. the, basically it. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. So, any other details about it you want to impart? Um, we don't really know that much about it. Otherwise, no, it just came to me. Hold on, I have a pun. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the Pone E Wars. Oh, no. This oh, one in the no. mouth. No. I just, hey, that's no. Really, what are we that's talking really about? That's really very yeah. good. Yeah. 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 Now you're going to jump on me. Uh, that's, that's very good. Mine was uh, objective. No, but well I feel like it's going to be in a road test. But seriously. Yeah, the Pone E Wars. Seriously, though, puns aside, I mean, that's what we're getting to now is that this is basically. Basically, a Camaro SUV and its SS will go up against the Mach well, E GT. That's right. So it's a whole yeah. different level. It is a level Pone the, E yeah. war. Mm -hmm. And oh, their SUVs. Like you know, I knew there was a reason we asked you to come. I hope somebody right from you know, somebody who makes decisions and well, we're we're, somebody, we're writing it down. Listening. Yeah, I guess the, the only other thing to say is Super Cruise will be available with it, so that's neat. You know. Gotta love Super Cruise. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you don't, if you never tried Super Cruise, it's the one autonomous, semi-autonomous system that we all think works, because mm -hmm. uh, it basically has the highways already mapped into it. Yeah, it's excellent. Yes. It's the responsible. Yes, the responsible semi-autonomous right. system. First uh, Chevrolet Blazer EV, you told us, but when's it going to launch? Uh, the first two offerings will be summer of 23. So we're still a year away. Yep. Right. Okay. All right. Let's move on to something more current. Uh, the 2022 Kia Sorento PHEV. Now, PHEV, plug-in hybrid, the vehicle, the type of vehicle with both an electric and a gasoline powertrain, but also enough battery to actually give you some real distance, and you can plug it in and recharge it. The type that most American manufacturers have sort of uh, avoided, but the uh, the Koreans and some of the Europeans are embracing them more. Greg, kind of take us through the uh, PHEV Sorento and why PHEV, we besides are, what I just said. We are full of puns today. You said current, something more current uh -huh. with the PHEV. Yes. Yeah, sorry well, about I'll that. Unplug, that was worse I'll than unplug from the conversation. So, yeah, Kia Sorento uh, debuted, gosh, I mean, talking COVID time now. What was it, like 100 yeah. years ago? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it was like two years ago. Um, and uh, very, very popular. It's still hard to get a hold of one. I know um, yeah. my in-laws bought one. It took them a while um, because it's a very good-looking SUV. It's a three-row SUV. Uh, so, this plug-in hybrid makes it the first uh, three-row plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. 
or the that way, hold on, sounds... Kia said something. Had it. Let me, let me go to my notes. I think that might be right. It is the only PHE, mainstream PHEV available with three rows is how Kia puts okay. it. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure they're they're right. The, there might be something that we, we could be missing. The new Outlander PHEV is not available yet. That's right. That That's very, right. Currently um, available. That's right. Very small the, uh, third yeah. row. Right. <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's get to, to the meat of it. So, um, it starts with a 1.6-liter turbocharged engine, which is connected to uh, the, the hybrid system. In this case, it is a plug-in hybrid. So, you can plug it in at a full charge of the 13.8-kilowatt-hour um, battery. You get about 30 miles of all-electric driving range. It's I've, I drove this one quite a lot over a weekend, and it was... Not an experience I expected um, from a PHEV. Now it seems like a lot of PHEVs, when you get that all-electric range, I mean, that's it. You're just cruising on all-electric range. It actually has some pretty good torque out the gate. This one, I didn't really feel like I got it. And if you really wanted any kind of hard acceleration, it would default to the gas engine mm -hmm. very Even quickly. if you had that button? Yeah, the, uh, yeah. The so if you wanted to accelerate quickly... It would even if you had EV mode selected with the button on the console, mm. it wanted to go to that. Uh, so it, the, the gas it wanted to have the to gas assist. to assist because the the electric huh. motor is only like 90 horsepower, and this uh, is a heavy vehicle. Small. It's like another. Yeah. It's like yeah. 300 pounds heavier than the hybrid, the regular mm. hybrid, Ooh. not plug-in. So it's. It has a lot of weight it has to get moving, and the electric motor. Honestly, I didn't feel so, like it was up to it. So really, it's. When you, you you were talking about doing hard acceleration, so really it's saying true to the original Toyota concept, which was you've got the gas engine, but the electric motor is just a helper. Now mm -hmm. I'm sure if you were light on the pedal, you started yes. off with the electric. Yep. Okay, so it's really a traditional hybrid system. Correct. It's just closer with, just to with a, a, a larger battery. It's closer to the original hybrids than it is the modern plug-in hybrid vehicles. You're right. right. You, if you are real easy on it, you can stay in EV mode um, up to highway speeds. But you really, I mean, it's like I, it oh, is I like know. a hairline. No, no, that's where the if way you go too hard, you're going to get into the gas that's engine. The way the early Priuses were. Um, and when the gas engine does kick in, I mean, it, that's 261 horsepower total system output, which is pretty good. Um, like I said, though, it just I being so used to now electrified vehicles, I didn't get that you know real right. surge of ev power it's not a pure ev i no, mean we just read, we just had almost that same powertrain in the uh, kia sportage mm -hmm. and it's very smooth but it is a basically a traditional hybrid powertrain just with a bigger battery the maybe un, uh, non-traditional is that it runs through a six-speed automatic transmission so it's yeah. not a cvt yeah. Yeah. Thank God. Uh, even weirder <laughs> is that the EV, the, the the electric motor also runs through it. So when you're driving in EV, you actually have shifts too. So there's like interruptions right. in power, which is again odd compared to modern um, plug-in hybrids. Uh, standard all-wheel drive, uh, which is a big thing for you know we've talked about it. Um, a lot of the country loves all-wheel drive. It's standard here. Um, and then to our point about uh, tax credits. GM's out of them. Kia still has them. So this vehicle does qualify for roughly sixty-five hundred dollars of tax credit, which that's is, really substantial. Makes it for worth a PHE. it, oh, considering yeah. that actually, I think the when so this has a seventy-nine 
MPGE rating when you when you have mm-hmm. used plug-in power, uh, but when you're just running on hybrid power alone, it actually is not as efficient as their standard hybrid. It's 34 MPG combined compared to 35. Hmm. So then you're like, well, why why would you do that? Well, the tax incentive. You right. actually do get, you know, a fair. You could get a fair chunk of change uh, for buying this vehicle. Yeah, tax incentives, by the way, folks, are based on the size of the battery, yeah. as well as yep. the number of vehicles they've built. Yeah, what is that number? Is it? Uh, I've forgotten yeah. exactly, but it's, uh, I want to say 24, but I'm not sure that's right. No, it's not, because this is 13.8. I think it's it's yeah, lower. but it's 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 stepped. Oh, you mean the for the max yeah. yeah, 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 seventy okay, five hundred dollars? But I, I could be wrong. Yeah, right. um, and then my my final because uh, we I drove this thing a couple months ago, I think. Mm. Um, the interior is slightly different. There's a rotary shifter. Um, I've never been a huge fan of them, but it's whatever. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Their, I don't it's care. New. The only good thing about them is that the modern rotary shifters are designed to default. To park if you do anything stupid like right. yeah. don't mm. don't hit the off button properly, mm, don't right. shift it mm-hmm. back into park yeah. or mm. open the door, which we've all done, which we all, all do. And yeah. Anyway, so basically, uh, I wouldn't call this a thoroughly modern plug-in hybrid powertrain, uh, but 30 miles, uh, which I experienced as a, a very solid uh, estimation when it gave me, I think it might have even said like 35 at one point mm. um, when I had a full charge. Let's let's say it's a solid 30, and for most people, that's a that's a day's commute. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, and mm-hmm. if you can plug it in while you're at work, mm-hmm. that's awesome. So. Uh, yeah, and then it just comes in a really handsome and well uh, uh, technology-laden package, which we've seen with all the other Sorentos too. So yeah. I think the one that we tested was just under fifty thousand. Yes, forty-nine grand. Uh, that was loaded, obviously. Yep. That SX was... Prestige is forty-nine grand. So I'd like to have that sixty-five hundred bucks mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Assuming that the dealer doesn't try and charge you a premium of sixty-five hundred bucks. Okay. Good point. <laughs> So, so okay, that's the present. In a way, we're going to kind of go back to the future now and talk about the 2022 Lincoln Navigator. A yes, folks, full-size body-on-frame SUV still exist, uh, and they're incredibly popular. And Jessica, take us through this uh, big P-O-S-H, posh SUV. So, <laughs> Well, it's, uh, I mean, it's it's big. Uh, it doesn't get a complete redesign. This is just a, a, a substantial Fairly refresh. Fairly substantial refresh. Um, it's still built on the F-150 chassis. Yes, so. same, same, same chassis, um, same engine. It's got the 3.5-liter twin-turbo V6, except now it has 10 less horsepower than it did before. And they didn't explain that, so. No, so, you know, um, I don't think fuel economy really changed at all, so. uh, No, it still sucks gas pretty well. So, it could have just been a slight driving dynamic situation, who knows. Um, But, yeah, the the exterior gets an update, uh, new front fascia, I believe. It, it, Still looks like a navigator, I guess, in the traditional sense. I think it's share like when I see it, uh, especially when you like look at it from the from the rear, it looks, I think, quite like the expedition. I think. Well, it, I mean, because they're, it they're is. Twins, they're twins <laughs> in a way, but you know, so. Uh, but yeah, they they look they still look a lot alike. Six thousand pounds. It's a big boy. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, six thousand pounds. Um, 
a Kinto, st- still 8700. Um, you get a new, like, larger screen inside, which is a big deal. Uh, it's 13.2 inches, and that comes with Sync 4, which is um, sort of exclusive to Lincoln, apparently. And it does have the uh, the Lincoln equivalent of Blue Cruise in it, which is called Active Glide. Which mm. I honestly, that's Active the, Glide. That's the first time I'm hearing that that like nomenclature. It sounds like a, sounds like a dance from yeah. the 30s or I, something. I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting. Electric Glide. I kind of yeah. wish they would have just called it Blue Cruise. I mean, we yeah, know that they're yeah, we yeah. know that they're. Uh, related, and I think GM is just calling everything it's just super, super cruise, cruise all around. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Well, that, Lincoln has always been really, or recently, have really been trying to separate themselves from Ford. Right. I remember when they um, was it the Continental that came out with the um, the twin turbo V6 that was like very special to Lincoln that you could only get it in a Lincoln. Uh, I wish I had more research on that, but I, I just know that Lincoln has tried very hard, or Ford in general, has to tried to separate the two. Brands yeah. because well, I mean as we've driven a uh, expedition which can get pretty pricey mm-hmm. but I mean you get a lot of what you get in a in my opinion mm-hmm. in, a, in a Lincoln Navigator as you do in a uh, an expedition so I feel yeah like I mean it's 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 clearly it's like the Escalade I mean that's why everybody knows the Escalade is based on a Tahoe Suburban but at the same time uh, it, it doesn't look like it even you know once you get below below the skin and yeah. I think Lincoln they've I think Lincoln's actually done a very good job of not making aside from maybe the profile shape them look the same yeah. as the expedition well and, and interior is certainly very different I think Right. And yeah. I have to say, like, I mean, I, I, I feel like I've said this a million times. It, it's just like the gap between, you know, where the top of the line expedition is mm-hmm. and the bottom of the navigator lineup is like they're so darn close. You know, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a different car, but it's it's well, let's face it. People that are buying prestige brands sure. want that name. Mm-hmm. I mean that that is a lot of it. What, do you think the Navigator name means as much as it did back in the early 2000s? When I think Navigators were really clearly it? Lincoln. Lincoln is trying to make their brand more prestigious. I mean that's the whole. If they don't, I mean I think it's very clear. This is what's going on right now with Lincoln. If they can't separate themselves from Ford and become a very strong standalone brand. I'm not sure they'll be around, you know, mm. t- 10 years from now, where I think Cadillac will be. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we've seen that happen at, at other automakers. And, you know, they got rid of, of Mercury. And sort of when they did that, everybody sort of wrote, said, yep, well, this will be Lincoln's last stand. And they've done pretty well. I mean, if you look at their other uh, offerings, they have pretty distinctive offerings. So. Yeah, Nautilus, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Aviator. Yeah. What's their best seller now, probably? I would assume it's probably like Nautilus, because that's like every... It's like the compact. Which, is that the the same size as the? That's the lower one. Yeah. So I probably I, I think like the five seaters are their best. Yes. Yeah, the Aviator was the big deal yeah. uh, a few years ago yeah. when they came out with that. But this, I have to say, very plush, incredibly roomy. Um, I mean, it's drive smooth. You know, it's 18, it's 18 to 20 miles per gallon, folks. Is all you're going to get. But then, yeah. if you can afford up to six figures, I guess you don't care. True. I mean, I think it. I, 
it's just hard. It's like tough to be like, yeah, put the twin turbo V6 in there when, I don't know, you could probably still get the same fuel economy with a V8. I think you probably could <laughs> be very close to it. I know it's like the smaller engine and impact and blah, 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 because we see it in literally everything, but I'm like... Well, you know, uh, they've gone back and put that put the V8 in the Raptor R, so over the Ford true, side, thing, true. because everybody get a, complained. Navigator get R. A, but a, I, don't think navigator, R? Oh, yeah. I don't think Navigator people uh, really care what's under the hood Probably as long not. as it goes. No, I mean, as long as it's a smooth ride, yeah. and, and and it is. It's a plush. And the it's seats huge. move a million different ways. Mm -hmm. True. And right now, folks, if you're looking for a real full-size body-on-frame SUV, mm. you're there are few and far between. Yeah, I think... So. I think someone said there are technically 18 on the market that you can buy that are body on frame. Wow. But keep in mind that, well, something like this is on there where it starts at 80,000 yeah. and peaks at 110. And, I, and a G-Class is on there as well. Yeah. And, so. and which would you rather have? That's a discussion for another day. We've got one more vehicle we'll talk about, and we'll save it for a little uh, later in the show. It is the rebirth of a very historic name, uh, of course, in a modern form. Uh, and it's from our friends at Toyota, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Let's turn our attention, though, to our lightning round, where we sort of just do a little round robin here and see what everyone thinks about that sort of story that we picked up out of uh, automotive news. A Subaru dealership in Oregon is selling vehicles at sticker, but only to locals. In other words, if you're not a local, they're going to go after you and charge you lots of extra. Uh, they're turning down, actually, out-of-market buyers who are willing to pay more. So, basically, they're selling them at sticker to locals, and if you're not from the local market, they're saying, saying, thanks very much, but we'd rather not deal with you. The dealership is hoping that it will be more profitable in the long term, even if it costs them revenue up front. What do you think of the strategy? Let me just preface our answers. We're saying a lot of folks right now are buying vehicles on the Internet from dealers way out of their state, like across the country and having them shipped in just mm -hmm. to avoid basically all the additional markup. Here's a dealer who's saying, I'm a local dealer. I exist for my local community. And I believe it was a, a fairly small town. Mm. And uh, what do you think? I mean, I think it's I think it's the right thing to do. But I find their reasoning behind it like, you know, wanting to be in the good graces of everyone because this isn't going to last forever mm -hmm. this this weird moment that we are in and uh, i think a lot of dealerships are are burning bridges as we speak mm -hmm. yep. because they're Yep. I don't want to use the word greedy, but well, kind of greedy. I, I, I don't see how you can say. I mean, even greedy. the even the manufacturers are saying True. that their dealerships are being greedy. So mm -hmm. yeah, taking taking advantage. Okay, we're America, supply and demand. But come on, folks, you're it's you're ridiculous. Just, you're at just this putting point. lots yeah. of extra profit on top of something it, because you can. It's not helping. You know, inflation rates. Right. It's not helping people who anybody like out there who can't afford the. $50,000 average price tag of, of a new vehicle. And these days. what doesn't get talked about, 
that extra money you're playing above sticker is not included in the normal depreciation. Right. Yes, yes. So when you go back in to trade that vehicle mm. in, you're going to you're going to be underwater, owe more than the vehicle is actually worth for a much longer period and it's going to hurt you on your next vehicle They're purchase. already seeing that in DC yeah. of like they're going for there's like loans being defaulted, vehicles having to be repossessed because of that exact thing yeah. and people yeah. are underwater this is a cool idea and i uh, expect something for you know a subaru dealership in oregon makes perfect yeah. sense <laughs> uh, for this to happen yeah uh i think yeah, because there there are some of you know we talk about lack of loyalty among buyers but subaru owners are incredibly yeah, loyal. very loyal yeah. super loyal oh, oh, oh my god yeah. Yeah. um yeah, I think it's it's cool to see. It's a, it's a nice story to feel good about. Good I'm not sure it's going to last very long, especially when people, if there are in fact people willing to pay more money for the car that they're going to sell for less money to somebody local. I'd just be curious how long that lasts until they're like, eh, we need it'll to start last, paying the bills. It'll last as long as supply is constrained and they can sell everyone they've got yeah. locally. Because you know what? I mean... It's like before, before any of this happened, it was like if you paid MSRP for a car, you're a sucker. Yeah, you're a yeah dummy. exactly. So now they're they're selling everything at MSRP. So to them, that's good. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> they they make they make a decent living for everyone, and including the folks that own the dealership mm -hmm. at MSRP. They may not be rolling in it, but it's a decent living. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, we have an Instagram question from Spice Bob sixty two. I love this. Love I love the world other we're in. Have Spice yeah. Bob. <laughs> Is there a way to create electric cars with more range without having ridiculous horsepower numbers? The Blazer EV that we were just talking about could be a nice family hauler, but I don't need five hundred plus horsepower, but still want the range. Okay, who wants to start? Because there's no. The answer is we it's very confusing because you hear all these incredibly high horsepower numbers mm -hmm. but things other things are happening here. Number 1, these vehicles are much heavier than yeah. a traditional gasoline powered vehicle of the same shape. So you need more peak horsepower to get it up to speed and well I should say keep it going. That's what yeah, horsepower torque is. is what you want. Torque is what you want. Also, an electric motor produces its power much differently. It's very yeah. instantaneous. And even though the extra horsepower gives these vehicles ridiculous acceleration numbers, under four seconds, under five seconds, that we never associated with SUVs before, they level off as far as their top speed pretty quickly. So I don't know what the answer is. It seems to me that maybe it's more marketing. Like right yeah. now, if it, you know Toyota in their BZ4X we were, that we just did a road test on, they've kept the horsepower numbers pretty low. But it's also slower in acceleration than most of the other recent EVs we've yeah. done. And, and nobody the range wants, isn't that great. That's, and the range that's the isn't funny that thing is like it's not like mm -hmm. oh it has 400 miles of range. Right. It's like right. 230 in like the all-wheel drive configuration. So. Spice Bob 62, it seems to be part marketing. And and you said it before uh, we went on the air that there's a balance that obviously yeah. the engineers are trying to get between enough power to get decent acceleration numbers and, of course, range, which is affected with if you draw too much power too quickly. 
Uh, I don't know where this is going to settle. Right. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be don't think of horsepower in an EV like you would horsepower in an internal combustion engine. Right. Uh, torque, I'd pay a little more attention to because that'll really tell you how fast you're going to go off the line. But don't get carried away with it. It doesn't feel like 500 horsepower because of the extra weight of the batteries and so forth, and probably the gearing as well. And it's mm -hmm. probably all-wheel drive at that rate yeah. anyway, yeah, so yeah. much safer to, you know, if you do get into it, it's going to be a little safer than if it's rear-wheel drive. Yeah, we, we agree with you that, that the numbers on horsepower are starting to sound ridiculous. On the other hand, uh, they it doesn't give you horsepower has ne should never be considered the measure of how rapidly a vehicle goes from start. That's torque. Horsepower comes in at maintaining a speed, but you have to balance that with the size of the battery, the weight of the vehicle, and probably the gearing. And we don't really know too much about the gearing. Yeah, and I mean, I think as time goes on and EVs become more mainstream, you know, uh, tweaks will be made. And there's just, you know, some of these some of these models, I'm like, I don't think everybody should be driving them. Just because it's well, that's, so much That is another thing. When, when, when you do hit the throttle full on many of these EVs we've been driving, you are thrown back in your chair. It's and a I'm, not, I'm yeah. not talking IX, about a performance yeah, vehicle necessarily. We did. I got on the road <laughs> and like it struck me at how quickly yep. that thing. Like, I think. And I do this for a living. Like These I know motor, how fast motorcycle are. type acceleration. This mm -hmm. is the kind of stuff that when the motorcycle's accelerating through traffic, you're saying that person has a death wish. Well, now you've just put a bigger body on it, and it's an everyday vehicle. Yeah, so. no, it's it's a lot. It, but it's like a party trick. It's like whenever I have an EV, that's uh -huh. like the first thing I show people. Yeah. Like if I have people around, I'm like, I'll do like a... Hey, kids, want to see something <laughs> cool? <Yeah. laughs> I, I, I'll throw back. 30 years ago, we had some Porsche in. It was turbo, probably a Porsche 911 turbo. And the trick was how fast can you go from zero to 100 to zero? And you could do that in six seconds. And that was amazing. Yeah. That's not a trick anymore. No. People comment that all the time yeah. on, like, our retro reviews or, or on our new tests. And it'll be, like, a seven-second uh, uh, zero to 60. John would be using that. That was blistering or something. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's what we said. <laughs> but Anything. now we're, like, a leisurely. Yeah, now, now you know, seven and eight yeah, seconds has like, become leisurely. Yeah, you, you get, like, an issue, like a blazer that's going to be sub four seconds, but like most of them are going to be probably be four and a half to five. Which that used like a four seconds zero to 60 was like awesome uh -huh. 10, 15 years ago. Now we're just like, like yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's under four. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, Spice Bob 62, I'm not sure they gave you a coherent answer, but it has to do with uh, lots of things. And we don't, don't get carried away by the horsepower. When you finally get a chance to drive it, you'll see whether you like it or Just not. Just keep it on eco mode. Yeah, keep it on <laughs> eco mode. Yeah. Stretch, stretch the battery out as long as you can. Mm -hmm. uh, the last vehicle we're going to talk about before we get to our rants and raves is uh, a rebirth of the Toyota Crown, a name that goes back to the 50s. And I believe it was Toyota's actually first um, 
Ford four sedan automobile. But anyway, it has a lot of history. Uh, more in 1955, the Toyota Crown was Toyota's first mass-produced passenger vehicle. Mm -hmm. And the name was in the U.S. Uh, up until about 1972. So we never tested one. Uh, we never tested one. It predates us. It's back on a um, very interesting-looking uh, five-door sedan. Uh, it's... Uh, has some unusual things, and I'll leave to everyone else to talk about in their hybrid system. This is a hybrid, by the way, folks. And they have the regular hybrid system, and they have something called the Hybrid Max that we've had a little yep. bit of experience with. So before we get into the powertrains, with everybody wanting SUVs today, what's what's going on here? Is this just a mark, a vehicle that maybe for the U.S., uh, people might not be clamoring to get, and we'll do better worldwide. What do you? Th why do you think they brought put the crown name on a sedan and not taking the route of putting it on some kind of a, a crossover? I don't know what crossover you would put this on. Well, it has to be something new. It's a really important nameplate big, for Toyota. Name. Yes, yeah. um, especially globally. Obviously, globally, you know they sell. You know, sedans. Um, a lot of sedans. A lot of sedans. Yeah. Uh, this, to me, is is the Venza, right? Like, uh, okay, good point. Like, does it make a lot of sense? No, but also, but it's a premium. It's a premium. Vehicle. And now they don't have the Avalon, right? So that's gone, which was a historic nameplate here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. for a long time. Um, so yeah, the Crown. I mean, it's kind of filling that gap. I can see where this sort of is bridging the gap for a future of electric in this size vehicle. Um, like, you know, here we do it, have it a hybrid powertrain. It's a full-size yeah. sedan. Yeah. And so right. it has a hybrid powertrain. I can see inevitably this would be that global platform going electric and then, like, that's what the Toyota Crown is for Toyota. I, I should give a little more details about it. This is a, if you haven't seen this vehicle, it's very sleek. Mm -hmm. It's got a coupish roof line, one we've gotten very familiar with just about every other brand, but particularly the Europeans. It is a good-looking vehicle. It has a different design language than we've typically seen on uh, Toyota sedans up to now. But the, the thing that stands out uh, more than anything else is they've got Got two choices of powertrain. You have the standard Toyota powertrain for a hybrid, and you have something called Hybrid Max, which they are billing, oddly enough, uh, as a performance hybrid. Yeah. And I don't mean extra fuel economy. Uh, so at this point, they're trying to see whether or not they can do something uh, by build, selling a hybrid that for something other than pure fuel economy, uh, something that uh, the folks over at Honda had tried and uh, basically uh, didn't succeed at. Well, it seems to me that we ought to actually describe what the Toyota Crown looks like. It's a very swoopy-looking full-size sedan, has that coupish-like roof style that we've seen on a lot of the um, European, particular Audi sedans. It has a different design language than we've traditionally seen up to now on cars from Toyota. But I think the thing that stands out about it most is they're billing it, this is a hybrid, so it's got a gasoline uh, engine with a, an electric motor. This is not a plug-in yet, but they're billing it as having two different hybrid powertrains. One is the standard Toyota hybrid powertrain, and one is something they're calling 
hybrid Macs, which we've had a little bit of experience with. And they're billing it not as they're billing it as higher performance, but that doesn't mean better fuel economy. It means more power. And this yeah. is an approach that Honda tried on the first Accord hybrid and, and wasn't very successful with it. So any, what does anybody think about the Toyota Crown and trying to market it as a, um, a performance hybrid, i.e. more power faster? I, I'm still racking my brain trying to figure this thing out. I'll be <laughs> honest with you, because uh, uh, you mentioned the the nice silhouette, I think, uh, but then you also look at the two tone, like the hood is black as opposed to the, this this press photo car is red. Right. Um, it's lifted. It looks like it's kind it does of like look off, lifted, almost doesn't? like an off roady yeah. like um, Polestar Volvo ish mm -hmm. sort of stance. Um, I like that you know Toyota is continuing with their hybrid system. They're like you know when we offer a new car, we're just going to make it a hybrid, because which I that's think what is smart. Yeah, yeah, which I think like, it's very smart. We had this conversation the other day right. about the new HRV. Like, why not just make that a hybrid? Right, a car should just be a hybrid. Um, as far as like performance, um, I'm not sure. Again, what they're going for yeah, with the here? I know, and like, <laughs> why not make it a prime then? Because the the um, the RAV4 Prime, which they're basically selling everyone they can make, mm -hmm. has the most performance you can get in a RAV4. And it's not like they're necessarily billing it that way. They're just like, hey, here's a plug-in hybrid. Also, it's the highest performing RAV4 we can make. And, and it people still love it. gets great fuel economy. Yeah, so I don't, I'm not sure what, like, why they're getting away from that with Max. I don't like, I know... It I guess does. what I'm saying is, like, I haven't heard their explanation or read into it enough to really, you know, uh, understand it yet. Well, it does have uh, basically the uh, 2.4-liter turbocharged right. engine. That's the difference. And that's the, the big difference. Engine. And the other thing is a six-speed automatic transmission. Mm -hmm. So there's no As CVT to there. Uh, there also is going to be uh, an all-wheel drive version as well. So you will be able to use that extra power and a decent transmission uh efficiently. Uh, but, you know, 28 miles per gallon uh, city highway fuel economy for the max, for the max yeah. that just doesn't light my fire that much, even though it's a big automobile, especially since you can do a whole lot better than that with a, a Toyota Camry hybrid. So, yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I, yeah, so. I find but it. How difficult. does this compare to? I know it's obviously not hydrogen. How does it compare size-wise to mm -hmm. the Mirai? Like, I think it's finding that people love the idea of the Mirai and now want to offer that in a powertrain where everybody in the country can buy it. Mirai's not that big. I no, would. Mirai, I would suspect this is kind of like a more. Uh, uh, it, Mirai's not Mirai, small though. Mirai no, but is more it, like a Lexus-esque silhouette with yeah. like yeah. low to the ground. It's kind of got more sports car -y right. sort of vibes to it, rather than a CUV, um, I think. At least the latest Mirai, which we honestly, I don't think we've driven. <laughs> I drove the Mirai uh, last year at their headquarters. Oh, you did? Yeah. This looks it's like nice. they're trying to give people some, SU, some SUV traits by probably having you sit a little higher off the ground. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, which we've seen, of course, people like Ford do that as well, try that as well. I don't know. It's an interesting vehicle. It's almost like they're trying to force the sedan, though. And, like, I, yeah. I love a sedan as much as anybody. 
But like it, it's very clear where the market's going, and they're just like, let's hold this, on to the sedan. This package well, is just interesting. But too. is that is that okay? Should we? Isn't that okay? Because well, I mean, we're, right now when you look at all the vehicles that are coming out, it's hard to find a new sedan. We should be celebrating, shouldn't we? Well, <laughs> I mean, there's still a lot of people who buy sedans. Oh, there I, are. Absolutely. I mean, I know yeah. that the Camry still sells just, a lot. Accord still yeah, sells a lot. I don't know. Absolutely. You see them all the all the time on the road. Yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. you drive down the road, you're you're still seeing like a half and half situation right, right. yeah i mean i was confused by this car when like the very first teaser i saw in like big letters it was like sedan question mark suv oh, question yeah, mark. Were, and i was like yeah. cool so they don't know yeah. um <laughs> and yeah i just wonder if this is kind of piggybacking off of what you said jessica a little bit it's like i wonder if this is a move that we just don't understand yet maybe in the future we'll yeah. be like ah oh, the crown i remember well, yeah like well the venza was kind of a move yeah. that way and the yeah. ori- i'm talking the yeah. original it venza, took a, it, it took them like, two generations this? to and get then it, it went yeah. away and then it was yeah. like oh wait a second everybody wants these mm-hmm. uh, car yeah. i see and i see them all the time now the the venza they sell really well and even the the um, the older ones, like yeah. you'll see them on the road, and those people they love that car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think we mentioned it's all-wheel drive standard. Uh, we yeah. might not have. No, I, I think know. I just said all-wheel drive in passing, but no, I didn't say it was standard. Unique first. All right, unique Toyota Crown. Be on the lookout at for look out for it. I think you'll know it when you see it, especially with that sure. uh, distinctive two-tone paint. Uh, before we wrap things up, any rants or raves this edition of our podcast? I had one last time, but I'm I'm dry this time. I mean, I have a I have. Oh, a here rave. we go. And this is oh, a rave. Wait, yeah, no, I have a rave. Yeah, yeah oh, sorry. Okay. I yeah, I have a rave. <laughs> so um and this was sort of brought up um a couple of people tweeted this at me because uh, my latest Did You Know segment, which if you don't know, now, now you, you do. Know. Now you know. Um uh basically I just uh talk about some misconceptions about cars and things surrounding cars. And so my latest topic was that slowing down just a little bit can save you fuel economy. And somebody else pointed out that the modern GPS has saved so much fuel waste. Cuz if you think about it, you're not getting lost or you're getting lost oh, way less. Okay. And GPSs are taking you the most direct route. Now is it always the most um, green route to take, not necessarily because I don't know if you've seen the uh, like Google Maps recently. No, they fuel efficient. they give you a fuel efficient right. route, um, but that generally means lower speeds, right? But so somebody brought up this excellent point that was like, you know, you're not using maps, you're you're getting lost less. <laughs> Jeep, the the GPS has has, yeah. has probably saved a ton that's of a, wasted really fuel. Really interesting, Very and I thought that's. That's yeah. incredible. But there really is no excuse for people to get lost anymore. Well, all right. Not all GPSs are built equal. No, no, no. No, no. no that's very true. And you have, and I tell people all the time, you've got to have some concept of where you're going. Mm-hmm. Correct. Right. Yes, because roads are confusing um, uh, I w- in an unknown area. I was in Peoria, Illinois, and I put in the address I needed to go to, and it turned out there were two streets in that in that town, in that area, that had basically the same name. And it took me to the wrong one. So, really? Yeah, it was. It was like it was like Peoria, and then a little suburb across the river, and the GPS didn't distinguish between the two of them. But when I know I was when I was crossing the river, I knew I was something was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, that's my rave. That's I don't know if anybody else has a good one. Greg, 
Uh, no, I mean, that was pretty good. I was only going to use mine in case somebody else didn't have Well, one, no, no, so. no, no, no. There must be something sticking uh, yeah, in your Yeah, well, crawl. I mean, mine, mine is a uh, rave that will eventually turn into a rant. So, uh, <laughs> I noticed recently that um, coming upon a few uh, accidents and backups on highways, um, <clears throat> more people are starting to put on their flashers once they're ahead of you. Mm, yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, people are coming to a stop. Yeah. I better slow down, which is awesome, awesome. But I don't understand why when we test European cars that have this feature standard, I'm pretty sure, when you when they have hard braking, they automatically turn on the hazards. I don't know if it's all European cars, but we've had a few Eurospec models that when I do the braking test, it'll some of them will even put the windows up and run the flashers. Huh. Which it's I almost think like a, it's a pre crash system. Right, which is a good in. idea. Like you think it's about the car idea. in front of you is like all of a sudden a deer jumps out, slams right. on its brakes. If you see the flashers come on and that person you know have to it's like more than just a braking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it just seems like a real simple idea right. and it's like a safety feature. Like a, it's like a why not safety feature. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. It doesn't hurt well, to include Exactly. Like right. why Ameri- like it's just like one of those like American things where like it's as as great of things as we can do. They're just like simple things that we overlook and it's just like why not just include that on every car because obviously the different markets require it so why you know not what? just make it across the board that starts if people start noticing that uh i'm sure there'll be some regulation that won't be far yeah, behind. to the original so, point yeah, way to go yeah. people way to yeah, start using very, good, yeah, very good hazards. very good just remember to turn them off if you happen to use them for any other purpose true, true. <laughs> it drives me crazy to see people driving down the road for no particular reason still has the flashers on but okay well that brings to a close our podcast number 283 i'd like to thank our over the Edge reporter Greg Carlos, especially for that last rave. Our digital producer Jessica Ray for her rave and her analysis. And Alex Kellum, our writer who basically is toiling at his computer screen pretty much 24 7 to bring you all of the latest uh, automotive Story news. Of my life. That's okay. We could be out digging ditches. <laughs> I, want, I want to thank our audio engineer today, the great and one and only David Wainwright, who is largely responsible for everything good you hear on Motor Week. He's the the master that puts our show together every week. Our podcast producer, of course, is Jessica Ray, and our podcast creator back in the uh, bowels of our uh, studio facilities here, Bob (laughs) Mixter, who's always thinking of something new. Mm -hmm. To everyone out there, if you are new to the Motor Week family, welcome aboard. You can find out much more about us at MotorWeek.org, our website. Uh, Basically, if you are wondering where you can watch Motor Week in your local local location, Uh, go to the website, click on the upper right where it says about the show, pull it down, put in your zip code, and you'll get the station in your area with time and day. You can also, of course, watch our almost everything we've done for the last uh, 15 or 20 years over at our YouTube site, youtube.com slash motorweek. You can watch us on our cable partner, Mav TV, and we encourage you to do so. Go to your computer or your phone and look up MavTV.com for the latest schedule. They run us quite often. We're at PBS.org slash MotorWeek where you can stream recent episodes for free. Mm-hmm. We're out there in just about every conceivable fashion you can think of. If you have a screen of any type, you can be a part of MotorWeek. Till next time, I'm John Davis. Thanks for joining us. And as they say, used to say on uh, Hill Street Blues, be careful out there. <laughs> You've been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. 
Motor Week is made possible by Lucas Oil, TireRack.com, and RockAuto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.